Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. Today on the episode, we have a lot to get into. We're going to take a look at those uh, those projections out there, early predictions that have Mark Stoops listed as a possible candidate for the Nebraska job that came open with Scott Frost firing and, and what we think of that. Discuss Alabama's narrow escape at Texas last weekend. Get into our week three picks, of course. But, John, we have to start with Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. The Aggies' $9 million man after a needless contract extension last year that locked him up through the 2031 season. Now, we should say we've been complimentary on this podcast before of the seeming momentum that Jimbo had built, signed the number one ranked signing class. I don't think either of us ever said we thought that contract extension was necessary. It, it wasn't. These ADs all the time are knee-jerk. Whenever Jimmy Sexton comes to town, they start writing writing paychecks. But <laughs> but we were complimentary of, of Jimbo and what had seemed like momentum in that program. And then, ah, oh, Jimbo, ah, oh, Texas A&M. It just... They they so often struggle to live up to the preseason hype, and and here we go, a three point loss to Appalachian State on Saturday. Is it? Are we are we at the point where we just have to say Jimbo is is an overrated coach, an overpaid coach, and as as I wrote over the weekend, he's a rich man's Kevin Sumlin. 50 games into Jimbo Fisher's tenure at Texas A&M, he's 35 and 15. 50 games into Kevin Sublin's tenure, he was 36 and 14. So if you are what your record says you are, Jimbo's just a rich man's Kevin Sublin. When Texas A&M made that hire, I was all in on it. I I thought Texas A&M had just won a national championship. Not in the season to come, but in future seasons that it would happen. Uh, The recruiting last year sort of provided a little boost into that thinking, if not what was happening on the field. Now I'm starting to look at it differently. And you know, we're both very adept at jumping off bandwagons. Okay. And I jumped off this one. Uh, I'm officially off the Jimbo Fisher bandwagon. And here's how I look at him now is remember he was once, an offensive guru. He was an offensive coordinator under under Nick Saban. Uh, he was once a quarterback whisperer. He had a, did great with Jameis Winston and winning a Florida national championship at Florida State. What has he done for us lately? It almost looks like he's running an old school offense and new school offenses are just zooming past him. It's as though the game's passed him by. Is that our overreaction? Probably. But you can't argue with the numbers that you just pointed out. What A&M is trying to do offensively, I'm not sure. The quarterback looks really looks really average, but it's got some good pieces there. The offensive line doesn't look adequate. But as well as he's recruited, even before last year, you would think he would put an offense out there that could get more than nine first downs against App State, and it didn't happen. I I think that 
I think that program is in 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 trouble. And Jimbo said he's going to restart rethinking everything, but he might want to start with Jimbo. At, well said, John. I, I agree. And you know, Jimbo in the the off season was calling other coaches clown hacks. You know, there was some <laughs> some questions raised about how Texas A and M was it were able to sign the number one ranked recruiting class. Maybe some of those questions raised were fair, and maybe others weren't. But yeah, Jimbo fired back and said there were some other coaches in this league acting like clown hacks. Well. I mean, Jimbo looks like the king of the bozos right now after strutting around like a peacock in the offseason, you know, saying someone ought to pop the hood on Nick Saban's program and and sniff around under there a little bit and saying Saban likes to position himself as a false god. I mean, he was coming out there, (laughs) I mean, just landing haymakers left and right, and that's all good offseason theater, and I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I'm I'm here for offseason theater. We are in the business of offseason theater for two guys who write about college football uh, pretty much year-round with a little interruption for, um, you know, maybe some of the other sports that go on. We, we love that theater. But when the games start, you got to go out there and back it up. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody expected, those of us living in the land of the reasonable, nobody had set the bar so high for Jimbo to say like, well, you got to run the table this year, Jimbo. You got to win a national championship this year, Jimbo. But you can't lose to Appalachian State on your home field as a $9 million coach when you're in year, what is this, year five of his tenure? You can't be 50 games into your tenure and have a worse record than what Kevin Sumlin did 50 games in. You can't be 50 games into your tenure and you still don't have a quarterback. You You haven't signed or developed a quarterback really since Jameis Winston left Florida State. I mean, I always get worried you know, when I start thinking about these guys who are called gurus and quarterback whisperers, how many times do those quarterback whisperers run out of secrets to tell, you know? And and how many times is it more to do with the with the, the, the guys that were around them than anything they were saying softly into their ear? I mean, was Jimbo Fisher a quarterback whisperer? Did Jameis Winston just have an incredible freshman season there and in, in 2013 and, and was you know, one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in, in the country. Or to your point, maybe it's just as simple as the games, the games moved on and Jimbo hasn't ca- caught up with it. I go back to last year in a game that really stuck to me, really stood out. It was an early season game against Colorado. I can't remember if it were the opener or the second game. Week two. Yeah. Week two. Haynes King, his quarterback, who won the quarterback competition in preseason, started the game and was absolutely useless. Uh, Got hurt. Zach Calzada came in, won a really ugly, ugly game. I I mean, when was the last time anybody said, man, I don't want a piece of that Colorado defense? (laughs) Yeah, count me out on that one. I don't want to go up against those guys. Nobody says that. That was a harbinger of things to come. And then you come back and you beat Alabama and all is right with the world. But maybe that was just an awful day for Alabama because 
Zach Calzada wasn't the answer at quarterback. And Hayden's King apparently isn't the answer at quarterback either. So, Connor Wegman, the freshman, if you're not going to play, I got to make a quarterback change. If Absolutely. nothing else. Yeah, you, I, I, you, you score I've 14 been, points to App State. Yeah, you got to change something, and it, and, it ha- and I think you have to start at quarterback. Agreed. Yeah, and and I think uh, Max Johnson. The thing about Max Johnson, he played behind some wretched offensive lines at LSU. The guy can handle pressure. He's a tough kid. He he plays hard. He doesn't give up on a play. Um, so to me, I I would give him a shot. If not, I'd put Connor Wegman out there. He's supposed to be one of the best recruits in the country. Uh, I try and fix that offensive line, but when you think about a Texas A&M's offense, even when it's had success, I, I kind of—it's I, I, not well defined. I, I'm not sure exactly what A&M wants to do offensively. I think it wants to run the ball and and do some play action stuff. But let's go back to Kellen Mond, the previous quarterback. He had he was there a long time. He 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 started when he was a freshman. I guess he overlapped the the Sumlin uh, Jimbo era. But I never thought he's with the Minnesota Vikings. I think, and so he's he's done pretty well. But I never thought he was a he was certainly no Johnny Manziel. And he wasn't the kind of guy that I thought. Yeah, this guy it will be consistent. And this guy will win that big game for you when you're going to head with top 10 teams. And so I just really wonder about the Aggies offense now. Yeah, I think for for good reason. And as you pointed out, John, I mean, Kellen Mond was there seemingly forever. (laughs) 10 years, (laughs) at least. Yeah, but I mean, he he, he was a Kevin Sumlin recruit. So regardless of what you think of Kellen Mond, I, I agree. He was kind of an upper level average quarterback between the average and good quarterbacks. He was in, mm-hmm. in that range by the time his career was over, but that wasn't a guy Jimbo signed, you know? So it's like, we're still waiting on Jimbo to bring in a guy who, who looks like he could be a, an elite quarterback in this league. You know, there was a lot of buzz around Haynes King in the preseason. I was willing to give that the benefit of the doubt and say, Okay, he just got hurt too soon last year. Maybe that that Colorado game was an aberration, and and he would have been fine last season. I, I was willing to give it a second chance based on the buzz we heard around him. And you're right, the the offensive line hasn't been adequate, but um, there's a lot of offensive lines that that weren't aren't adequate at this point in the season. And, and Haynes King just, I mean, he gives he seems to give that offense no explosiveness. And you, you know, you were. I give you trouble about it sometimes, but you know, you've been on Max Johnson for, for a while. And I know you liked what he did more times than not at LSU, despite having an offensive line that leaked like a sieve. So you're right. I mean, he'd be no stranger to working behind mediocre offensive lines. They'd feel right at home there. And and if you don't do that, then, then yeah, I think you have to turn, turn things over to the freshman. You can't, you can't go through a season like the one last year where A&M was offensively challenged and then do it again 
Um, and I know Haynes King's a different quarterback. They played with Zach Calzada most last year, but Haynes King was around last year. Didn't look great in that Colorado game. So I think you got to go to something different. Um, although I don't know, maybe it may not be as simple as, as changing quarterbacks. Uh, but I think that's, that's where you have to have to start. And I don't know, you know, long-term, I, I think you've, Texas A&M has put them in a situation where Jimbo Jimbo's their guy here. Um, they've, they've got to ride the ride the course here, but they got Miami coming to town this week. Then they have Arkansas, Mississippi State, Alabama. I mean, if we think the shines come off Jimbo Fisher now, let's check back in in five or six weeks and see where things stand. Because it, I don't know, maybe this is a one game aberration, but it doesn't it doesn't feel that way. No, I agree. But you mentioned three SEC teams in the West right there, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Alabama. I would pick either one of the – all three of those teams against A&M right now. Uh, I've seen those teams. I I think I would have loved to have seen Saturday. I would have loved to have been looking at Nick Saban when he saw that Texas A&M score. Now – Nick Saban, his win wasn't joyous over Texas. You were there in Austin. It was just a gut-wrenching kind of game. Alabama didn't play well. Texas came through. But in the end, Alabama pulls it out. So they've got a win that they really shouldn't have. And then you contrast that with the preseason back and forth between mostly from, from Jimbo's in with Saban. And you think... I know Nick Saban doesn't smile a lot, but I think he was smiling when he saw that App State score. Yeah, and, and the perfect way to sum it up, John, I was leaving Austin, was in the Austin airport, and there was a, a gentleman who was a little bit in front of me in line wearing his Alabama shirt. You know, you could tell he's mm-hmm. feeling still a sense of relief after sure. that after that win. And someone mentioned Texas A&M's loss to, to Appalachian State to him in line, uh-huh. and all he said were two words. Oh, Jimbo. <laughs> and I thought that said it all right there. That's oh, great. Jimbo. After all that <laughs> strutting around in the offseason. Oh. <laughs> oh, Jimbo. All right, let's change gears and get to a coach who's flying high right now. He's He can, he can do a little peacock strutting if he wants, and that's Mark Stoops. And I got to say, I, I've, I've said before, on this podcast that, uh, you know, I thought Mark Stoops really put himself out there when he challenged John Calipari. That was a bold move. And I, I don't know that I would have done that if I'm Mark Stoops, because it is what it is. Kentucky's a basketball school. I don't care what Mark Stoops said. And, you know, coming at Cal is a risky move, but Hey, talk about someone who went out there and backed it up. You know, Mark Stoops has gotten Kentucky to the point where it can give Florida fits, and I, I thought he had, a, as usual, had a very good defensive game plan on Saturday. Anthony Richardson went from looking like a guy who you know, was seen as a Heisman dark horse after one week, which you pointed out was an overreaction. You pointed that out last week, but he went from that to looking like a guy who was making his second career start, which he was, and, and facing Kentucky and a defensive coach, the quality of Mark Stoops, and your, your second start can be really difficult but I, I thought that was maybe as big of win. Maybe maybe this is in the moment, John. But I thought that was that rivals maybe the biggest wins Mark Stoops has had in his Kentucky tenure. Given given kind of what transpired in the off season, 
exchanging elbows with with Calipari. I, I really thought that was a statement game for for Kentucky. I agree with you a hundred percent. And and watching Mark Stoops after that game, it, he was he was a Banny Rooster. I mean, he was kind. Of, he, he the look on his face was, "How do you like me now?" I, I mean, he just like, well, check me out. I have absolutely arrived here in the swamp. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, uh, and I thought Florida, I thought Kentucky would beat the spread, but I still thought Florida would, would win the game. But Kentucky just looked like a better team. I mean, it was playing without its best running back and really it's best. You can say either he or, or Will Levis, the quarterback, uh, Chris Rodriguez, a running back, or Levis are the best offensive player at Kentucky, but he's a vital part of their game plan, and he was he was not there. And Kentucky still won and just took over the game in the second half. Made Florida look weak, tired, and just and and Anthony Richardson just looked lost uh in that second half. So and, and Kentucky won despite an average game, I thought from from Will Levis, and and I think you know you could look at this one of two ways. One was the hype for Will Levis too much in the preseason. I think it's very possible that proves to be correct, um, and that Kentucky is going to have to still win first and foremost with defense, which few teams are better positioned to do than Kentucky. But the other way to look at this is Kentucky just won in a tough road environment. And its quarterback didn't even play that well. If he can, if he can still get to that next level, and they get Chris Rodriguez back, which I think just in just by nature of adding a, a running back of that caliber to your offense also helps your quarterback. You know, maybe there's another level this Kentucky offense can reach, and we haven't seen the best of of that side of the ball yet. I, I think that's that's an argument you could make. Now, one of the storylines coming out of this, John. And I want to get your reaction to this because I, I just, to me, it seems far-fetched. But you look at the names listed on the early hot boards for Nebraska after they ripped the Band-Aid off the Scott Frost era on Sunday after their latest loss dropped them to one and two. Mark Stoops is is on a lot of those hot boards coming. And, and you're even seeing, I mean, these aren't just from like, uh, you know, fanzinger.com. These are from... <laughs> You know some of the some of the the big names, the big name college football writers have Mark Stoops on those lists. Now, hot boards at this juncture of a coaching search. I mean, it's it's really kind of throwing throwing darts at the wall. Um, but then you see a sports book. You know, some of these offshore sports books are trying to trying to ratchet up some wagers. And Mark Stoops is a is a guy with among the favorites to be the Nebraska coach. I I I think you know if Mark Stoops is smart and <laughs> Judging by his tenure at Kentucky, he seems like he's bright enough guy, right? He's got a great contract. He's he's the best coach they've had since Bear Bryant. Seems like a bright enough guy. I wouldn't I wouldn't venture into those Nebraska waters because the argument for Stoops to leave Kentucky has always been well, he's up against his ceiling. It, I mean, he's done a great job, but if Kentucky wants to win an if he wants to win a national championship or go to the college football playoff, you can't do that at Kentucky. Fair point. Not going to argue that. However, the 12-team playoff is coming. We know this. It's going to be here as soon as 2024 or as late as 2026, but it is coming. And in an expanded playoff, 
I think there will be years where a Mark Stoops coach Kentucky team could ex- could contend for a playoff spot. And I think he'd be in no better position to do so based on what he would inherit at Nebraska. Why take on another rebuild when you've rebuilt Kentucky to the point where it's in its best footing, where it's been in, in the lifetime of many Kentucky fans? Well, your thoughts on that? Should if, if Nebraska wants Mark Stoops, should he give that any thought? My first reaction to that was the same as yours. Don't even get near Nebraska. I think Mark Stoops can get a better job than Nebraska. And I also think he can get a better job than Kentucky. Let's not jump too fast. However, uh, these coaches thinks and thinking they always talk about their clock. Do I need to restart my clock? What more can I do at Kentucky? I think that's a question he has to ask himself that I may have peaked at Kentucky. Maybe you're right. Maybe he can sneak into that 12 team playoff, but I think that would be a challenge for Kentucky when I look at its overall recruiting and compare it to other SEC teams. So I don't know if I would go that far with Kentucky, but I think people will start to expect more from Mark Stoops at Kentucky because you can't stay the same. He's won 10 games. Everybody talks about going to the next level. I'm not sure still that Kentucky can go to the next level. And I don't think beating Florida proves it can. I don't think this is a very good Florida team. And I thought it's a victory over Utah, which got so much national acclaim that it said more about Utah than it did Florida. Utah wasn't ready for a big stage. I think it put too much pressure on itself, uh, had a bad game plan, didn't know what to do with Anthony Richardson. So, but that's one side of it. The other side is, Scott Frost knew Nebraska's program, knew the history. He's an alum. That's his alma mater. He won a national championship there as a quarterback. He was an offensive coordinator at Oregon. When does Oregon have a bad offense? He goes to UCF and goes unbeaten. He was the hottest coach out there, the hottest coach, and he could have had that Florida job. Instead, He goes home. He can't resist the lure of of reviving Nebraska football. I don't think you can revive Nebraska football to what it once was when it was a dynasty. The expectations are still there with fans, and I think they've got a – their their fan base is probably more sane than a lot of SEC schools. Think Auburn, for example. But still, there's that past that they cling to when they were a dynasty for my goodness, about 30 years. And and so, but I just don't see that coming back. I I would agree with you in principle. The one thing that gives me pause on that is the dynasty is not coming back. No, but I think Nebraska can, can really ascend from where they are helped maybe by NIL. I mean, you know, if you think about a fan base that's as as supportive and passionate as Nebraska's is and mm-hmm. and how much that can play into NIL and the deals that can be possible for athletes, you would think Nebraska could really be a player in in the NIL space. Now, I know some of that comes down to, you know, how deep-pocketed are your boosters. And, I mean, Warren Buffett is a Nebraska grad, so they don't get much more deep pocketed than that. I'm not saying Warren. <laughs> well, I'm not saying Warren Buffett. You know, he makes smart investments, and I'm not sure 
I'm not sure uh, buying high school recruits would would necessarily be in Warren Buffett's uh, investment strategy. I uh, he would say buy Coca Cola and hang on to it for thirty for thirty what, years. Uh, what teenager do I want to buy today? I no that never thought never crosses his mind. No, but uh, but I just getting back to my larger. But I think Nebraska's you know they they seem like a school to me that could do okay in the NIL space, but. But yes, the dynasty is is probably not coming back anytime soon. And, and I think bottom line, I go back to something you said. Mark Stoops doesn't have to hang up his whistle 15 years from now in Lexington, Kentucky. But it also doesn't mean he has to take this job if, if Nebraska seriously pursues him. You can continue to be patient. Mark Stoops is going to be just as hot of a name, I think, at the end of the season as he is right now, and, and maybe even this time next year. I don't I don't think the window of opportunity, I don't think it's now or never necessarily for Mark Stoops. I think he's earned a lot of respect um, based on what he's done over the course of his tenure at Kentucky. If he shows some patience, he might, he might still be able to jump at something better down the road, um, but jump into a situation that, that isn't quite the rebuild that whoever is hired at Nebraska would undertake. Maybe he wants to be the next uh, coach at Texas A&M. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll just wait out Jimbo. Uh, he can certainly recruit well to Texas A&M, and nobody's ever called it a basketball school. So, Great point. Nobody's go. ever called Nebraska that either. But uh, <laughs> no. Mark Stoops looks pretty good coaching that basketball school uh, at Kentucky. Yeah, before we get into our week, week three picks, I want to touch on – at the scene in, in Austin. I was there for it. Texas fans were lined up in the pre-dawn hours. Now, I wasn't there to confirm that, but I saw a video uh, from our, from my USA Today Network colleagues that confirmed that, yes, Texas fans were lined up outside the stadium in the pre-dawn hours. You could sense Texas was ready for this one, um, and they almost got it done. Bryce Young, another Houdini act. I mean, he was dead to rights in the backfield there for a sack. If he gets sacked, I think Alabama loses that game. Instead, he somehow slithers away from the blitzer, gets a 20-yard game gain on a scramble, and, and Will Reichert hits the winning field goal. But you come out of this thinking, is this the game we're going to look back on and say, yep, Alabama survived a, a close call here on, on their way to a national championship, or is this the game that we say, and I think maybe some some lasting deficiencies or concerns were revealed about Alabama? Uh, perhaps, yeah, I think it could go either way. Uh, based on Alabama's history under Nick Saban, I think you might look back at it and say, yeah, that was the game it needed to win and was fortunate to win, but you have to do that sometimes on your way to national championship. When I look at Bryce Young, it's almost like I'm watching uh, the college version of Tom Brady. Uh, won all those Super Bowls with New England and won with Tampa Bay. And he reminds me of another player. He reminds me of Reggie Bush at Southern Cal. When Southern Cal had that thing really going and almost won three consecutive national titles, and it did win two under Pete Carroll. Southern Cal would, would just overwhelm a lot of teams. But every now and then, it just wouldn't show up for a game. And what would happen? It handed the ball to Reggie Bush, or he'd catch a punt, and he'd elude every defender on the field, and he would save, he would save Southern Cal. 
And Bryce Young is doing that for Alabama. He did it last year against Auburn. And he did it against again Saturday against Texas. And that it's really nice to be able to play that card in the in the last last half of a fourth quarter. The the secure it's a security blanket. No matter how bad you're playing and what's gone wrong, Bryce Young will make it right in the end. And you can add him to that list, John, because you think back to that Auburn game last year, Bryce Young wasn't very good for three quarters. Now he was under heavy duress. His offensive line contributed to that, but that he wasn't sharp throughout three quarters of that game. Same thing Saturday. He wasn't sharp under three quarters. And again, you can throw the offensive line into that. I thought Texas A&M, their, their front did a very nice job. They looked physical, or excuse me, Texas, not Texas A&M. Don't say that around Longhorn fans. Yeah, we don't want to conflate those two. No. I still got Jimbo on the brain. But no, Texas looked much more physical than they did when they got whipped at the line of scrimmage by Arkansas last year. They they look like they're they're making some strides under Steve Sarkeesian, credit where it's due. But still, Bryce Young was not sharp for three quarters. And then he throws on the cape and says, all right, it's, it's hero time. And, and just has a fourth quarter that... Very few players in the country right now could have done what he did in that fourth quarter. I'm not sure anybody else could have. And maybe, you know, you know, I had Bryce Young number two on my Heisman ballot last year behind Will Anderson because I thought Will Anderson was the best player in college football last year. But Will Anderson can't go into backfield and take take the snap and avoid the blitzing linebacker, or I believe it was actually a, a defensive back, and, and scramble 20 yards. You know, there's there's just certain things that a quarterback single-handedly almost can do to save a game, and no one in the nation does that better right now than than Bryce Young. Yeah, I agree, uh, Blake. And and here's the thing with uh, the the Brady, the why I make the Brady comparison. Brady, he has some real average games sometimes. He just, but. If his back's to the wall and you've got two minutes to go or one minute to go and he gets the ball, it's almost like game over. Here he goes. As you put it, he he dons his cape and off he flies and he takes his team with him. Uh, I just uh, I, I think that we look at stats and we're developing. You can't help but look at stats and and all these huge offensive numbers and think who the best offense is and who the best quarterback is. But boy, who's the best quarterback when the game's on the line, even if he hadn't played that well throughout the course. And you mentioned Will Anderson. I I think Will Anderson's pressing a lot. I, I, I know he's only played two games. He, he didn't have a sack until late in that game when he made a crucial sack. And so you could say he put on his cape too. But he looked frustrated out there, and he had a ridiculously late hit for a personal foul earlier in that game. Just to me, that just reeked of uh, frustration. And I'm sure he's getting so much attention, and he's got it in his mind after last year. Got to make a great play, not just a good play. Got to make a great play, and he needs to get past that. But one more thing about Alabama, the receiving core to me is a problem. Now, maybe it'll come around, but right now, when I look at Alabama, we've seen this long line of great and future NFL receivers at Alabama. We just assume that's what's about to happen, but it isn't happening right now, and maybe it will later. But that, to me, is Alabama's 
Achilles heel. Yeah, I agree, John. We we can shower Bryce Young in praise and and he deserves every bit of it. Um, but I do think there's a a lasting concern that comes out of this game for Alabama and, and you you hit it on the head there with the with the wide receivers. Um, because I don't see yet a Jamison Williams on this team that can just be a total game changer. Um, because you could do you could take the top off the defense with Jamison Williams and and hit him for a 60-yard bomb because he was he was so good getting past defenders, was quick. But also, you could just flip a little wide receiver screen out to him, and he could turn it into a 40-yard game. He, he, was, he was a game changer um, with his speed and his athleticism. And then John Mechie, you know, he's kind of the forgotten man sometimes, but it seemed like every time Bryce Young needed to pick up a third and seven, yeah, just go find Mechie. You know, he'd be sitting down in the middle of that defense for about nine yards deep on third and seven and boom, move the chains. And I don't see it's, you know, it's one game. Texas was a a tough place to play. All all that, all that is true, but I still don't see a Jameson Williams or John Mechie on, on that roster. Maybe one emerges later in the season. In some ways it's still a young receiving core. um, So there's room for growth, but right now, that seems like a a um, a lasting deficiency that could have Bryce Young playing with with one arm behind his back for a while. But who better to do that than Bryce Young? Yeah, I believe Alabama thought Jermaine Burton would become Jameis Williams, and I didn't think he would. I thought he was a nice addition, but he never showed at Georgia. I know it's a different offense and different quarterback, but. He never showed to me at Georgia that consistency, that big play consistency. He's got speed, and I thought he would help Alabama's offense and give it a veteran receiver, but I don't think he's a a Jameis Williams. I don't think he's a future star. I think you're right. I think one of these young guys and Prentice, who who made some catches in the fourth quarter and, and earlier, maybe he's that guy. You would think with all those four and maybe a couple of five-star recruits at wide receiver that one would emerge. But in the past, they all emerged where Alabama had four NFL wide receivers out there. And uh, they could one might not even start. So it'll be I think everybody's going to be watching that as the season goes along. All right, we're going to get into our week three picks. But uh, before we do, just want to say thanks, uh, as always, for finding us here on the SEC Football Unfiltered podcast. And and if you don't mind, if you do like what you hear on this podcast, John and I would greatly appreciate it if you just take a couple moments, you know, give us a rating, give us a review. I know it's a hassle sometimes. You don't want to, you don't want to do it. But if you have a moment, We'd appreciate it if you could, because uh, truly those ratings and reviews help us find more listeners. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, we are providing sage advice in that area. And you think, hey, someone else could could benefit from this. Uh, Go ahead and give us that rating and, and review. We would we would so much appreciate it. All right, John, let's get to our picks. And each of us went four and two last week. We whiffed on our lock of the week, so we won't spend much time on that. But we did pretty good picking picking the SEC games. So each with a 4-2 and two mark, my record after two weeks, and again, this is against the spread, my record after two weeks is 7-3 and three 
I'm a rich man today. Oh. Your record is six and four. You're only one game back. You got a little cashola in your pocket, too. So all is well. The bookie's not coming after us, and we still got our kneecaps intact. Got a few games for us this week. We'll start inside the SEC. Big one. Big one for Auburn and Brian Harson. I think. A chance for maybe him to find a sliver of solid footing if he can get to a 3-0 start. Struggled against San Jose State. T.J. Finley struggled early. Came on late. They prevailed. But now they got Penn State coming. Penn State three-and-a-half point favorite. I'll let you go first on this one. Penn State at Auburn. Who do you like? Penn State's a three-and-a-half favorite. I think this game will bring out the best in Auburn. I think Jordan-Hare Stadium will be rocking. Uh, I think you mentioned how big it is for Brian Hartson to get a marquee win. But I just don't think it has the quarterback to do it. I, if I've got a pick, I, I would go with Penn State and give the points. I agree with everything you said. I, I think Jordan-Hare is going to be a menacing environment on Saturday night. And, and if Auburn wins, that that home crowd very well could be the difference maker. But, um, you know, I think I think Brian Harson's playing the right quarterback. And I wrote that this week. Um, you know, I think there's been some calls for change there. But, boy, that Robbie Ashford interception he threw, as I put it in a column, he threw it where only the defender could catch it. You know, you hear about those quarterbacks who could throw a pass where only the receiver could. He threw it in a, in a spot where only the defender could catch it. And he's a good gadget guy. I like him. I like him as a runner. I think he's a necessary wrinkle for this offense. I'd keep playing him, but I wouldn't hand the reins over to him as a starting quarterback. Um, I got to think if we haven't seen Zach Calzada yet, maybe there's a reason for that. He had that offseason shoulder surgery. He was he was kind of Jekyll and Hyde up and down at Texas A&M. I, I, think, I think Auburn's playing the right guy. I just think, I just think TJ Finley has a ceiling, and we've seen it. But to his credit, he has been resilient. And if he's down, he doesn't always stay down. He's the best you got. I think you got to roll with him. But I don't think he's quite enough for Auburn to beat uh, Penn State. And I, I like Penn State in a close one, barely covering that three and a half. We talked about Jimbo, John. Jimbo and, and his Aggies are a five and a half point favorite with Miami coming to town. Saturday. I know these are the type of games as a better you say, why is why is AM a five and a half point favorite after losing to App State? That looks fishy. <laughs> I'm staying away from that. Um, and maybe this is why I do my my uh my sports picks on a podcast and and not in a casino, because I'm gonna fall into that trap. I'm gonna say I just can't shake loose what I saw from from Texas AM's anemic offense against App State. And App State, to their credit, is I mean, they're a good Sunbelt team and the Sunbelt has has fared quite well this season. It's it's not the conference it used to be. That's an improving conference. But still, I can't shake that from my mind. Maybe A and M wins this game, but I, I'm I'm scared off by that five and a half point spread. I'll I'll take uh Miami as the underdog and in, in that one and give me the points. Well, I, if I'm in a casino or if I'm betting on my phone, I would just discard this game. Uh, but you're making me pick it, so I was. So it's it's fine to pick it without any money on it. I'm going the other way here. I just said I'm I'm no longer enamored with Jimbo Fisher, and I'm not. But I just think 
think about all the abuse A&M's taken this week. Uh, the coach is a clown. Um, no offense, no quarterback. I, I'm, I'm making this pick with the idea that Jimbo Fisher has to change quarterbacks. And if I'm wrong about that, I'm wrong about the pick. But there's got to be a reason why it's a five-and-a-half-point favorite over Miami. And I haven't seen Miami. So uh, it's not a very educated pick. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick A&M to cover, but my heart's not in it. Ignorance is is bliss, and, and it might prove yeah. correct. Like you, I would have stayed away from that one uh, if I had actual money line. But that's we're not here to dissuade you, as we've pointed out. John and I have winning records this season against the spread, so do with that what you will. But we're split on that one. Uh, all right, let's see which way we go on this one. I could see this one being a split result. Mississippi State, two-and-a-half-point favorite at LSU. Uh, I'll go first. On this one as as well, John, give you a chance to diverge if you want to try to close the gap on on me and the standings. You know, I've been I haven't been pounding the drum as much for Mississippi State as I have been for Arkansas, but I've been tapping it a little bit, and I'm tapping it a little heavier now because through two weeks they've they've lived up to my projection that this is you know as a veteran team they're ready to climb the ranks a little bit in, in the SEC West, and I know you feel the way I do about Will Rogers uh, as their quarterback. However, this one to me is, I hate the phrase trap game. <laughs> it's just going to be a tough game. LSU, Brian Kelly, a dud debut, total stinker from the Tigers against Florida State. Still almost won that game. But I think week three LSU is going to look better than week one LSU. At home, tough place to play. I still think Tiger fans are excited about the Brian Kelly era. I I don't say this as an indictment on Mississippi State. I know in the past some games they just haven't shown up for. I think they'll show up. I think this will be a good game. But I think LSU will prove that week one is not going to be the story of their season. I will take LSU. Uh, I like LSU to win outright, and especially with them getting two and a half, I'm taking LSU. I watched Mississippi State against both Arizona and Memphis, and it won by a comfortable margin, but I didn't think played really well. I think it's got a better game in it, and I think Tiger Stadium against LSU is going to bring out the best in Mississippi State. It did a couple of years ago when Mike Leach, I think it was his first game at the beginning of his right. era, they just steamroll LSU. Now, it that didn't lead to a very good season. Uh, and other teams played Mississippi State differently defensively, and the difference was was tremendous. But uh I like more I like more of what I've seen of Mississippi State. Um I just I think Will Rogers can we, – we know how accurate he is. There's some receivers that are coming up. Caleb Ducking is one, and I saw Will Rogers waddling like a duck. We've seen uh, Jalen Waddle's fan base do that in the NFL, but I, Will Rogers can do it too. I just think this will break out. I think it will be a really, really good game, and I'd give the edge to Mississippi State. All right, fair enough. That is – that is definitely one of the, I think it's one of the most interesting games in all of the college football slate 
uh, on Saturday, not just because I, you know, the tight line and, um, and what I think will be a close game, but also I think we're going to learn a lot about each of these teams and, you know, where are they going to finish in the West? How much of a threat are they going to be to some of those better teams in the West? I, I think we're going to get a better feel, a much better feel for each team after Saturday. So we're split on that one as well. As you, as, as listeners know, we like to step outside the conference for, for a game or two. And so, uh, here's our non-conference game of the week, John. BYU at Oregon. Oregon is minus three and a half as the home team in that game. Uh, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Oregon looked absolutely helpless against Georgia. A lot of teams might look helpless against Georgia. But I like BYU. I, I, I like. I saw some of its game against Baylor. Uh so I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with the Cougars here. I just think it's uh, it's playing a little differently than this year. And and that the Baylor win was really significant. Can it do two in a row? Maybe not. But I'll I'll take my chance on with those points. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I I don't just like BYU. I love BYU. I, they were they prevailed for me in my lock of the week in in week one against South Florida. Uh, they got it done in in a gritty win against Baylor last week. I, I think this is, if you're looking for like sleeper teams to be that fourth team in the playoff, I mean, BYU's schedule's loaded. They, you know, they got Oregon this week. They have Notre Dame, which that, you know, maybe doesn't look like the clash that it, that it once looked like, but still uh, they have Notre Dame later in the season. They have Arkansas later in the season. So it's, it's a tough schedule, but BYU always plays a tough schedule. They normally fare well, um, I don't think they'll be intimidated by going to to Oregon, and uh, and I do I do like them uh, getting the points. Uh, I will take BYU in this game, and that leaves us with our lock of the week. As I mentioned, it was not so much of a lock last week. We both we both missed on them, so we've we've gone back into the lab. We've spent a lot of time on it this week. We vowed to get better. John, you go ahead and start us off. Who do you have for your lock of the week? I was embarrassed by my lock of the week pick last week. That's not who I am. Uh, so I spent a little more time, looked at it a little, little harder, and, and I've come up with Liberty. Liberty giving how many points is it, Blake? Is it 15 and a half or 16 and a half against Wake Forest? 16 and a half they are getting. I, I I like that pick. I just think uh, Kadon Salter, the tra- the transfer from Tennessee, at quarterback, has done well in his first two games. Wake Forest's defense is not airtight. It's got a big time offense, but I think that will be a very high scoring game. And I'll go with Liberty. Okay, all right. I like that you're you're stepping outside there for that one. You know, so easy. Yeah. We yeah. get lured in by these Power Five games, and of course, there's a Power Five team there in Wake Forest. But you are, you are stepping out with your your pick of Liberty coming off of a, coming off of a win. Didn't they just beat UAB last week? Yeah, I believe it, so. Yeah, it, here, flying high. Do you think? You know, I don't know about you, but when a lock of the week wins for me, I gain even greater confidence, and I'm at confidence, and I'm apt to come back to that team later on. But when it loses. It just no longer exists to me. I think I had uh, Northwestern given nine and a half against Duke last week. 
I wasn't watched... gonna I wasn't gonna bring it up, John. No, I, I don't mind. I mean, okay. I watched that game and thought, good gosh, that's just what a horrible pick. I apologize to the listeners who bet money and uh checks in the mail to you. I'll make it up to you. Yeah. Yeah, you owe yeah. the mortgage for a few people probably. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh all right, I got a pick that's gonna win some folks some money this week. Good John. for you. Yeah. Tennessee minus forty seven and a half with Akron coming to town on Saturday. Now, listeners of this podcast know those big lines normally concern me, but I've got a confidence boost here because Akron is among the worst FBS teams in the nation. There are FCS teams that would pose a much bigger challenge to Tennessee on Saturday than Akron will. And and I think about this. I know the score comparison game is very dangerous on betting lines, John. But Tennessee beat Ball State by 49 points in the opener. So they're no stranger from blowing out a team. And with Josh Hypo's tempo offense, he can pile up points on a Mac foe in a hurry. That's, I mean, this offense was built to do a lot of things. And one of those things it was built to do is to just shred the Mac, um, particularly bad teams in the Mac. And so I don't think Josh Heupel is going to be shy about piling up points in a hurry there. So I'm going to say the Vols are going to cover that whopping 47.5 points spread. So what is that? I need them to win by like seven touchdowns <laughs> to cover. 50, but, hey, 56 I, I, to 7, that would be good. Yeah, I, I think I think Tennessee might score, they might score eight touchdowns in the first half at the tempo they operate, and they'll have the first string in there for a while. So I'm feeling good about this one. Give me, Give me the Vols to cover 47 and a half points. That's that's an Alabama like spread. You don't you don't see a lot of 47 and a half point spreads and usually it's those numbers are listed next to Alabama. So I don't know well, if that says more about Tennessee or probably says more about lowly Akron. I really think Akron very well could be the worst team in FBS. Uh, I think it has a shot. As I recall it barely beat St. Francis in the season opener and supposedly St. Francis had formed a team just two days earlier. So that wasn't a very strong win for the zip. So yeah, I, I, that's a good pick on your part. All right. And looks good. Now we'll see how it looks next week. We'll see how Jimbo Fisher looks this time next week as well. Thanks for listening to this edition of sec football unfiltered. <laughs>